hush falls over the crowd. It's time for us to start. It kind of, the, the hush fell and then it lifted there for a minute, but it's time for us to start up. We're glad you're here. As I mentioned earlier, we welcome everybody to uh, this assembly. I'm excited about our summer series speaker tonight. We've had a lot of good guys come in and I've been looking forward to Randall Evans being here with, with us and to be able to speak to us. Randall and I have been friends for the last five or six years. We've met at Polishing the Pulpit a few years back, and we have um, gotten to be pretty good friends over the past um, five or six years. And he's, uh, he's a minister at a church in Cadiz, Kentucky, which is, well, I asked him earlier. I'm not sure what part of Kentucky it's in. Somewhere western Kentucky, over there, west part of Kentucky, if you know where that is. So that's where Cadiz is. <laughs> he's been there since uh, 2007. He's married to Cammy. And they have two children. Marshall is 18 and Ariel is 16. Is that right? 16. He graduated from Murray State. And he is doing a good work there in Cadiz. And I'm so glad that he made a considerable, considerably lengthy trip to come down and be a part of this. So um, come speak to us, Randall. Great to be with you guys. If you're confused about where Western Kentucky is, if you will go to the middle of nowhere and turn left, you'll be right there. And so it's not that hard to find. Uh, I am somewhat familiar with Alabama as I was born in the great state of Alabama in a place called Geneva. Had my mom rolled over in the bed in the hospital, I would have been in, born in Florida. But as luck would have it, I still was born in Alabama. Lived in a place called Talladega for about five years. Anybody know where that uh, is located? Not far from here. Also lived in a place called Op, Alabama for about two years. No, my uh, father was not in the military. Uh, he was and is a preacher. And so we uh, traveled from place to place. But it is good to be with you tonight. I have been to this building one time before uh, polishing the pulpit some years ago. was in Birmingham and... Uh, and we came to the building here. So when I drove up, I'm like, wait a minute, I've been here before and didn't even uh, realize that Chuck is a great friend of mine. You're very fortunate to have him working here with you. I'm thankful for him. He's a dear friend of mine, and we talk from time to time about uh, the Bible and other things. And so uh, I appreciate the invitation and am honored to be with you this evening. Love is the lens, if you'll think about it, through which Christianity is to be viewed. Uh, it has the power to connect us to God, but also has the power to connect us to one another. And it should be the motive behind everything that we do. Uh, tonight I want to talk about love in 3D, three dimensions of love. And we're going to talk about this idea looking at love upward, <coughs> inward, and outward. And we're going to begin in Matthew 22, so I'm going to have this on the screen and we can just read this together. Uh, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Uh, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And so Jesus encounters a, a lawyer, and the lawyer pretends to ask him a legal question. Uh, the lawyer uh, thought he already knew the answer. He wasn't really trying to ask Jesus, uh, the answer, he, he thought he already knew it. After all, he was an expert in law. And so he's coming to Jesus to talk about this. And we would call the question he's asking about referring to what we would call the old law. And so he asked this question. <laughs> and Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, as we begin tonight, I want us to think about this for just a second. If you could think about, and I don't know where you are as far as church goes. I don't know how long you've been in church. I don't know if you grew up in it, if you were born into it, you know, as far as your family taking you to church or, or how many sermons you've heard in your life. But well, however many of those are, and if you could, if someone asked you, what's the most important thing that you can think about in the Bible, what would your answer be? I called several of my preacher friends before I came here tonight, and I wanted to ask them, hey, what do you think is the most important thing in the Bible? And uh, to uh, a man, every single one of them said, well, if I'm looking at the most important thing, it would be love. When I asked them the question, you know, what would be the most important commandment that you could find in the Bible? And they said it would be to love God and to love your neighbor, which tells me that they had done their homework, that they understood what Jesus said, that they understood the answer that Jesus gave to this uh, particular lawyer. And so we're going to look at this idea of loving God and, and, and the idea of upward. Three dimensions to love, loving upward tonight. So that's what we're going to begin with, this idea of loving God. Um, this is the concept that Jesus was teaching, but in the text that we read, this, this concept had deep roots. In fact, Jesus was referring to something that, that people were very familiar with, particularly people who knew the Old Testament, and that is uh, this ancient prayer that was repeated called the Shema. That's the Hebrew word for, that means hear. And the first word of this found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, Hear, O Israel. Listen, uh, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now I want us to think about the statement, why would this be something that needed to be by Moses taught to the second generation of the children of Israel? Why would Moses say to them in this text, back in the Old Testament, the Lord our God is one? Well, if you'll think about it, uh, they had come out of Egyptian bondage. And the Egyptians had all kinds of gods. They had a, a different god for everything. They had a, a, a sun god, and they had a moon god, and they had a, a god of the rivers, and, and they had all kinds of gods for different things, for different occasions. And so uh, they were, even though they were the children of Israel, they were coming out of this polytheistic environment of many gods. And Moses wants to remind the second generation here that there's just one God. In fact, in this same text, just a little bit later, in verses 14 and 15, he says, Do not follow other gods, the gods of the neighboring nations around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. I had a guy some years ago tell me that um, he was like, Well, I, I don't know if I can believe in God anymore. I don't even know if I believe in the Bible anymore. And I said, Well, what's your problem? He said, Well, the Bible says the Lord's jealous. And if the Lord's jealous, that means he makes mistakes too. If God is jealous, he's got his own problems. Why would I want to follow a God like this? But that simply means that God wants us to focus on him. Which if we look a little further in the very next verse is the idea, right? You shall do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength or all your might. And so let's think about this idea for a little bit and, and what this really means. Because... You guys aren't the ones that really need this lecture, are you? I mean, you didn't come here because, uh, you know, the, the uh, Birmingham area is, is, is or, or this church is polytheistic. You don't have people worshiping different gods here. You, you're here tonight because you already know the drill, right? You already understand there's one God. 
that he's the creator of the universe, that he is the God who gave us the Bible through his Holy Spirit, and, and you understand these things. And so uh, I want us to think about not just this idea of there being one God, because you already got that, right? Uh, what does it mean practically to love him in this way that we're talking about? In three-dimensional love, what does it mean to love God? Well, it means that uh, God, when he says, love me with all your strength and might and all this, he wants our affections. He wants our hearts. He wants our souls. He wants our minds. He wants everything about us. He wants our focus. He wants and desires a relationship with everybody here tonight. And so God's got you here tonight for a reason. And one of the reasons he has you here tonight is because he desires relationship with you. And so in that sense, can I say something about you tonight? God's got you right where he wants you tonight. He's got you thinking about him. That's what he wants you to do when you leave here tonight, right? I mean, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go out through your life, it's everything that you're about. He wants everything in us. And this is what he desires. That's the kind of love we're talking about. And yet, we have a lot of things, don't we? They kind of fight for our attention. Because we are going to leave here tonight, hopefully, right? You're hoping it won't go past the hour. Chuck said, I had an hour and a half since I drove so far, and I was really thankful for that. Now, you probably didn't tell you that before you came tonight, or some of you might not have come. I'm kidding. But, I mean, you have a lot of things that fight for your attention, don't you? Because you're not always in a church building. And so what happens? Well, we, we kind of have these little gods that, that we do have in our lives. Now, they're not the god of the moon and the river or the sun, but they're the god of pleasure, maybe, or the god of comfort. And in our nation, we kind of have to fight that. We, we seek that. Or maybe the God of entertainment. We, I'm that way too. I'm, I'm ADD in a sense. I've got to have something in my mind all the time. Uh, I can't just sit still. Does that surprise you, Chuck? Doesn't surprise you at all. Okay, Chuck knows me. And, and, and anything can be made into a God. How about somebody's children? I see people that, that focus on that to the point that uh, they make gods out of their children. Or it could be money, or it could be a career, or it could be any number of things that we want to put in that place. And when I say in that place, the place that where God wants to be. And it's not that we have to be... God's not looking us to, to quit our jobs and, and stay at home and read the Bible 24-7. That's not what He's called us to do. You see, everything that we do, whether we're going to work or school or whatever it may be, can, can involve God and should be focused on God. And sometimes we let the business of life kind of drain us away from, uh, from all those things. So what does it mean if we say we love God? Because I've got to tell you, I love God, but sometimes I do things in my life that make me question my love for God. Uh, sometimes I think things in my life that make me think, why would I be thinking these things if I truly love God? Surely I wouldn't, you know, I'm a preacher for goodness sakes. I mean, surely I could get better at this than I've gotten, you know. Uh, these are the kind of things that run through my mind. But what, what, what does it mean then uh, uh, further to love God? Well, he'll always be on our minds. Uh, is God on your mind when you leave this place? Um, is he involved, is he the center of every decision that you make? Um, for those of the, you that are younger, I see some younger people in here. You're going to have some difficult decisions to make in your life. You, you may choose where you go when you leave high school. Or some of you may already be in college, and, and so you've got a choice now for a career. And some of you, when you get to that point, you're starting to perhaps uh, choose a mate and decide who it is that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And those are important things. And somebody says, well, I want to marry somebody pretty. And I want to marry somebody smart. And I want to marry... Where's God in the decision? Do you want to marry someone that will help you grow closer to God? 
Is that the consideration that you have in your mind when you make that decision? Somebody says, I need to find a new job. The one I have, I'm just tired of. I'm sick and tired of my boss. I've got to do something else. Or some of you might just not be looking for another job. You're looking for another career altogether. I worked for 11 years in the corporate world, traveling all over the United States in an airplane in an airport all the time, going, going, going. And, and one day I made a decision to become a preacher. And after tonight, you may say, why did he do that? That wasn't a good idea. You should go back. I don't know, but I made that decision. And one of the reasons that I did is because I wanted my focus to be more on God, and it has helped. Uh, it hasn't made me a perfect person yet, unless you ask my wife. She loves me so much. If we focus on God, we're going to want to spend time learning more about Him, developing this relationship with Him. You say, well, that, how do you do that? How do you develop a relationship with a God you can't see? Well, He's given us the ability to be able to talk to Him. He's given us the, uh, the ability to be able to listen to Him through His Holy Word and to, to develop that. You know, uh, when I first started dating my, now my, my wife, we were in high school, okay? So we were young. I think the first date we went on, we were both 16 years old, okay? And this year, uh, praise God, we will have been married 25 years come October. And I'm really proud of that. I'm really thankful for that. But I can remember those early days, you know, and we're just kind of getting to know one another. And I tried to ask her out for a long time, and she said no. Can you believe that? What a horrible decision on her part, huh? But she learned better. She finally decided that I was worth her time. But I remember those early times, and we would, I just would hang on every word that she said. I, I was in my sophomore year in high school in biology class, and it was my birthday. And she tore, you ever seen these notebooks with the rings on the side? And she tore a manila a portion out of the middle of that notebook and she wrote a personalized birthday card out of that manila uh, sheet and drew a picture of a birthday cake with 16 candles on it because it was my 16th birthday. I still have that manila sheet from that notebook today. Why? Because I wanted to communicate with her. I wanted her to talk to me and me to talk to her. That's how we developed the relationship. And now we come into another relationship that we call love, except it's with God. And it takes developing that to want to talk to him. Who do you talk to when there's a problem? Do you go to 15 people before you go to him? And yet he's got the power to really you know, solve the thing. And we're always going to our friends. What do you think? What do you think? And the last person we go to someone is, is the one that we're supposed to be developing the relationship. We're talking about love tonight. We're talking about upward. We're talking about loving God. How do you do that? Yeah, talk to him. Let him talk to you. Now, I will say that in trying to develop a relationship with God, sometimes it's harder than others. Uh, and let me explain myself on that. Sometimes developing a relationship with, us, with uh, God is hard. He's hard to love. Uh, and, and one of the reasons is when we do talk to him, he's ever talked back. No, he, he doesn't. We don't, I don't ask him a question and he gives me the answer and I sit there and listen and wait. Okay? And so that does make it a little harder, right? So it, it's a little more difficult from that standpoint to develop a relationship. He's easy to love, right? Because we know that he's the giver of every good and perfect gift, James 1.17. So when we get something good, right? When something good happens, who do, we, who do we think? God. And man, when the good times are happening and he's giving us good gifts, what do we do? I mean, he's easy to love, yeah? Well, then there's sometimes where he's hard to love because there are times when things go bad. And sometimes when they go bad, who do we want to blame? God, you know? Um, but, but he's not the one sending those things our way, I don't think, at least most of the time, and yet it makes it a little harder to love. Sometimes he's easy to love when things are going well. And so we've got this challenge that we have because we're no, we're no, we, we, we do love God, but, but sometimes it doesn't come as easy as we'd like it to. I'm going to tell you what changed 
my life in this regard. And uh, I'm looking for a clock. You're the only church I've ever been to that doesn't have a clock. I mean, what, is it behind me? Where Did Chuck rig this thing so there would be no clock in here? You're a genius, Chuck. I'll just have to look at the... Uh, <laughs> I can't believe that. That's amazing. So you'll have to... Uh, I'll do this. I'll cheat a little bit. Okay. It's fine. That's, that's genius. Okay. So um, I'm going to tell you what drew me in, <laughs> you know, um, and, and for loving God. And that was the realization of grace for me. When I realized that I was saved by grace and yet further realized that I did not deserve salvation, I fell in love with God because I thought, wait a minute. You know, I'd always known that God sent His Son to die for me, but now I was confronted with the realization that I didn't deserve it. And that meant something to me because I thought, you know, look, he did this for me not because I was so good. He did this for me despite myself. And that kind of just drew me in to loving God even more. And I'll ask you a question tonight. What, what is drawing you in? Maybe it's that same thing. Maybe for you, you're seeing something in your life that God is doing, and that's just drawing you closer to him. It's making him easier to love. And yet maybe you're in a, a season in your life tonight where, where you don't really, you're not feeling it, you know. Uh, the relationship is maybe not as strong as you'd like it to be. You're in a place where you're maybe having some doubts. And I just want to encourage you tonight to stick with it. Because loving God doesn't mean that, and, and even Him loving us doesn't mean we won't have these difficulties. He never promised that. In fact, His own Son came to this world, was mistreated, was persecuted, died a heinous death. And so if we understand everything about God, it's not that when we love God or even when He loves us that everything's going to be rosy. So if you're in that season tonight, I just want to encourage you. Keep developing that relationship. Keep working on love uh, loving God. Now, I got a question for you. Do you love God because you're commanded to do it? Or have you realized that you love Him because He first loved you? 1 John 4 and 19. That's kind of where I'm at, right? Uh, in my early stages of Christianity, I kind of loved God because the preacher said that was what I was supposed to do. And he got up in the pulpit and thundered it out. You're to love God. And I thought, okay, well, I better do that then, you know. And then later it was, wait a minute, why am I loving God again? It was because the preacher said so. It was because the Bible says so. Why am I loving God? And the answer to that question was because he began to, again, draw me in. It was because he first loved me. Now, Jesus, when he walked the earth, talks about this love thing. And he says in John 14, 15, this statement that you've all heard, okay? Are you with me? If you love me... Keep my commandments. Think about that for a minute. I want you to focus on that. We're talking about three-dimensional love. We're talking about upward love right now. What's upward love? Our love for God. If you love me, keep my commandments. Here's, here's the fact. Sometimes we keep God's commandments. In fact, can I tell you something? I have on every day of my life always kept the commandments of God. Except when I haven't. That's true. That's a fact. Every day of my life, in every single hour, in every way, I have always kept the commandments of God perfectly, except when I didn't. And when I did what God asked me to do, it was fine. But when I didn't, it kind of bothered me a little bit. Especially Jesus said, if you love God, keep His commandments. So it's like, you know, what do you start to doubt if you're not keeping every little thing? But folks, can I tell you something? God saved you. Not through your ability to keep the commandments. That's not why you're saved. You're saved because Jesus kept them. And he kept them perfectly, something you can never do. And he lived a perfect life, something you can never do. And he died in your place so you don't have to. 
So keep the commandments. But realize that the reason you're falling in love is because Jesus was the one who kept them. Now, even though we can't perfectly keep them. Now I want to read something to you about true love for God and, and see if you think this is true. Because if this idea or this notion really has its impact, here's what will happen. If we really love God and realize what He's done for us, it will lead us to places we never would have otherwise gone. I went to Africa in 2014 on a mission trip. I, I never had a desire to go to Africa before in my life, and I was there for three weeks. Chuck has been many times. Same place. Uh, I went to Tanzania. I went to a different area than, than you guys. I know some of, from this church have gone. But I went somewhere I would have never gone had it not been for the realization of what God had done for me. Uh, realizing what God has done for us and us loving Him, we, we'll do things we would have never otherwise done. We will also stay away from things that otherwise we would have been involved in. But the love of God says, no, I don't need to do that. We're drawn in and we don't even want to do that, God. It will lead us away from some people who would otherwise lead us away from God. But we love God more. Is there something tonight that's kind of getting in the way of you loving God like you should? Is there a someone that's getting in your way? Is there somebody in your life that's leading you away? But you're letting them right now, right? Is there some temptation or addiction in your life right now that's standing in your way for the relationship you could have with God, but you don't really have that as close as you want to because this thing's in your way? And the devil's using that to keep you away from God. He's using it as a tool in your life. If the answer is yes, then seek to remove whatever that obstacle is from your life so that your relationship with God will not be harmed in any way. Love God with everything you have because he expects nothing less. Love God upward. Now we're talking about inward. Inward love. Jesus said in the second, well, the first commandment is to love God with everything you got. The second is like it, kind of. You shall love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Somebody says, what? I'm supposed to, we're supposed to love ourselves? Yeah. I mean, if, if Jesus says love your neighbor as yourself, you can't love your neighbor like God expects you to until you first love what? yourself okay why is it so hard for us sometimes to love ourselves seriously i mean i've had trouble doing that in fact some of the things i do and some of the decisions i make some of the things i think make it really hard to love myself i get down on myself it's worse for preachers because we're supposed to know better right i mean we know all the verses we know where they're found we can even quote some of them isn't that really cool i thought that was really neat you know huh? You don't even need a Bible. You can just quote it. Man, how cool is that? But doing it still, it still is hard. It's still as difficult as it ever was. I can tell you that. Somebody says, well, surely after being in the Word of God all these years, you just don't face any temptations anymore. No. No, that's not true. And because of that, at times, I find it difficult to love myself. And then there's life when it confronts us. And, 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 and we all kind of deal with this because there are people that, that the devil's going to put in our lives to make sure that we have difficulty loving ourselves, right? Some of you had parents when you were younger who treated you a certain way. They made you doubt who you were. They told you just flat to your face, you're not good enough. And some of you are still dealing with those scars years later in your lives that maybe somebody who's no longer living planted in your heart some years ago. And so you struggle to ever feel like you could ever love yourself because somebody told you that's not even living anymore that you weren't good enough. And you believe that lie. The devil wants you to. 
Well, maybe it wasn't that at all. Maybe for you it was a teacher that you had in school or a coach. That was trying to, they were probably trying to do a good thing. They were trying to get you to run more laps, trying to make you stronger, trying to make you faster, but they told you weren't good enough, and you believed it. Maybe that someone is a spouse who when you're, around, when you're not around them, you feel okay, but when you're around your spouse, they put you down. And you've been married a long time, and after a while, you start to doubt yourself. You know, and think, well, maybe I'm not what I'm supposed to be. For, for some of you, maybe it's an employer who tries to give you a negative message. And then there's the worst of all, and that is ourselves. When we give ourselves negative self-messages that make us feel horrible, and the devil wants us just to wallow in that. That's, that's, that's the thought he wants us to have. He doesn't want us to love ourselves. He wants us to be sickened when we look at ourselves in the mirror. Those messages of self-defeat come from the devil. And so tonight, how, how can we change that? How can we do this? Jesus says, love your neighbor. Love God, but love your neighbor. But, but you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I've got to love myself. How do I do that? How do I change negative messages? I think it begins with the realization that we are. Everyone here tonight, are you ready? Everybody here tonight was made by the God of heaven in his very image. We learn that in the very first chapter of the Bible. We learn it, we can read it, we can grasp it intellectually, but when will you believe it? Psalm 139 and verse 14 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by the very God of the universe. And somebody says, well, who made a mess like me? And the answer is God. But you're not a mess. You're a wonderful thing. You're valuable. And the story of the gospel tells us that, right? We're so valuable that, Je that Jesus came to the earth to die for us. So what I want to challenge us tonight is if we want to love ourselves is to try to get these negative messages out of our mind as best we can. The devil's going to keep sending them our way, but we've got to believe what the Bible says about us. And if you're a Christian, believe that you're a child of God. But some of us assess our value through the wrong avenues, and that's why we can't ever really get a grasp on having any kind of identity. Some of us, uh, you know, value or gauge our importance based on our wealth or our careers. And so if the career goes bad or if the money, you know, some people have a lot of money and they lose it all just like that through a health problem. It wasn't because they were lazy. They worked all their lives and they had, they had accomplished a lot financially in just in a moment. Boom, it's gone. Talked to a lady not long ago who, had, who was single for a good portion of her life, married in her adult life, married less than, well, she was married for about a year. And she had a good retirement plan. They divorced. He took half of it. <laughs> and so if you really thought good about yourself, I'm doing well, I'm progressing, my career's going great, I'm making good money, I've got a good retirement plan, and then you have to half it. If your value's caught up in that, now your value is what? If your identity is caught up in your wealth and success, then, you're, then it's cut in what? Cut in half. This isn't a hard answer. You are sitting there. Did he say a half or a third? How much did the guy get? How much? Half. Okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes. Anyway, um, half. Okay. You know, young people, if you are, are placing your emphasis and how you feel valuable in life based on your popularity, if your friends dump you, what happens? Well, there goes everything, right? Uh, my daughter's still in high school, and, and she has a lunch table she sits at. And this lunch table concept, you know, who are you sitting next to at lunch? And there are actually tables that are the more popular kids. And then if you're at a secondary table, you're not as, what a ridiculous notion. But, but anyway, I mean, you know, uh, this, is, this is how they think, you know. And, um, 
And so sometimes, you know, the popularity's gone. What happens? The identity's gone. Everything's wrapped up in that. It, it can be any number of things. And all I want to tell you tonight when it comes to loving ourselves is that we have got to, especially as God's people, realize that our value truly is that we are a child of God. And that's something that somebody at a lunch table can't take away from you. That's something in a divorce that can't be taken away from you. They could take your money, but that's something that if every dime you ever earned is taken away from you because of cancer or some of the horrible things that we've been hearing tonight and the announcements that go on in life that when you're in a hospital room feeling like nobody cares about you the one thing you can hang on to is I'm a child of God and God loves me and I love him and I can I can love myself If someone's in your life that's keeping you from loving yourself, you may need to think about who you hang out with and replace the negative thoughts with this. Are you ready? God knows you. He knows you better than anybody knows you. He knows you better than you know you. He knows everything you've ever done, the good things and the bad, all of them. He's seen it all. He's seen the stuff you've never told anybody. He saw the stuff you did in private. He saw the stuff you don't want anybody to ever know. And some of you are in your 50s, 60s or older, and you still got secrets that you ain't about to tell anybody. But God already knows it. But here's the other half of that. Are you ready? He knows it, and he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. And he always will. So love yourself. Three-dimensional love, love in 3D. We're loving upward. Love God, you know, with all over everything you got. Love inwardly because you got to love your neighbor as yourself. But love outward. There's a first and great commandment. And again, I want you all to think about this. Did you get taught that growing up in church? Well, let me tell you the most important thing, love. In a lot of churches, that doesn't get taught. I know it gets taught here, but in a lot of places, it doesn't. Well, what's the second most important thing? Love your neighbor as yourself. All right, let's think about that for a minute. Love our neighbors. Who's that mean? Luke chapter 10, Jesus kind of gives us an idea of who that means, and it's not just the person that lives next door to you, although that's really hard to do sometimes. <laughs> I've got a neighbor that uh, dog, their dog attacked my son, and so all I did was go over and tell him. I showed him the laws and the... Uh, you know, I told him about the regulations in our neighborhood, and I said, you can have a dog, but it must be on a leash, and it must stay in your yard, and your dog is in the road attacking my son. I would like it if you would not have your dog attack my son anymore, okay? And for some reason, he hasn't talked to me since. Uh, I guess I should have said, hey, anytime your dog wants to attack my son, feel free. Just, just pay the medical bills if something bad happens, you know? I mean, what kind of world are we living in, you know? But sometimes the people who live next door are the hardest to get along with, but they're not the only ones in this idea of loving our neighbors. And so who does that involve, okay? Well, I'm going to give you a few here uh, to look at, okay? Outside the body of Christ, this is inclusive when we're talking about our neighbors, people who aren't Christians. This includes people we do not know. Thankfully, you're in a city. Where I'm from, it's a small town. And like when I moved there... I realized that it's a little town called Katy's, Kentucky. And when I moved there, like people would come up to me and say, you're not from here, are you? And I'd say, no, boo, you know. No, I'm not from here. I'm from my mother's womb. And, and, but when I came out, I was in Alabama. Amen? Hey, 
you know. And, uh, but I kept getting this, you know. It was almost like I wasn't part of the club. I thought, well, you know, I, I tried to tell them, you know, you can pick a lot of things in your life, your occupation, maybe even your spouse, but you can't pick where you're born most of the time. Eh? So it was like, not my, you know, but, but there's this outsider mentality. And, and, and something that I thought was revolutionary that I keep telling these people is that, do you realize? Because people in our church, you know, they, they had a, a thing where they didn't want to meet new people. And I was like, look, did you realize that everybody you know, at some point, you didn't know them? I mean, you know, so it's just how this works, right? But sometimes when it comes to loving people, we don't want to love the people we don't know, right? And that's hard to do for us, okay? What about struggling sinners? Man, and, and I got to tell you all something. Uh, I was reading a, a quote from Kyle Ottoman on grace, and he says, uh, as long as we think we're not that bad, grace never seems that good. It's when we look at the other sin of the other person saying, well, I would never do that. I can't believe they're doing that. I've even had people tell me about sinners that maybe not doing the same sin they're doing. I don't even understand how they could do that. Really? You know, I think I read in a book somewhere that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that includes the person that looks in the mirror at me every day. That's how it works, right? But for some of us, when it comes to loving, because God has loved us, right? And we love God, we love ourselves, and now we love our neighbors as ourselves and this includes people who are struggling sinners but that includes us and, and when jesus demonstrates this doesn't he i mean he goes and he eats with sinners and and what do the self-righteous people of his day what do they do in matthew chapter 9 they, they get upset what are you doing eating with these people what did jesus say they that are whole have no need of a physician right jesus understood that when will we uh, my famous famous most famous example of the woman caught in adultery in john chapter 8 and here's the most fascinating thing I can think about this. Okay, you remember that she was caught in adultery in the very act, and they bring her, you know, embarrass her in front of all these people, right? Well, you remember they've got stones, you know, and, 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 and why do they have them? Because they're, they're going to throw them at her until she stops breathing. That's what the punishment was for adultery in that day. And so this is what they're going to do. It's called stoning, very heinous way to die. And so they're ready, right? And, and what does Jesus say to stop them? And y'all think about this. Let he that is without sin cast a first stone. You know what I've always wondered about that? It's clear to me when I read that text that the woman did what she was accused of doing. But there was somebody there without sin. And he didn't cast the first stone. Somebody says he couldn't have broken the law. There has to be two or three witnesses and Jesus didn't witness the act. I think it's fascinating how Jesus treated people that were struggling. And so now our call is, because we are loved by God, we now love struggling sinners, even if the sin's not the same as what we have. People who are not like us, this could be anything, somebody of a different socioeconomic status, someone of a different race. Really? We're going to treat somebody differently because of the language they speak, the color of their skin, or any other thing, and we're going to say, I won't love that person because of that? What does that fail to do? It fails to do what we've already talked about. That every single one of us here tonight, all of us, are made in the very image of God. And so now when we're called to love, what do we do? We love. We don't take those things into account. What about our friends? Y'all think about that for a second. Well, somebody says, oh, it's easy to love my friends. Depends on who your friends are, but... I, outside the body of Christ, I bet everyone in here has a friend or friends outside the body of Christ. And some of you might even say, 
I love that person. But some of you haven't talked to them about Jesus. You've not mentioned him to them at all. And you won't. And you may never. I had a friend die last week. He was a friend of mine from college. Uh, some of you younger people are going to think this is really old, but I'm telling you, it's not. He died at 46 years old. And I went to the funeral. And it was a closed casket deal. And, and, and I just, I had a lot of regrets. Because you see, I hadn't seen this guy in probably 19 years. But when I saw him, when I knew him, when I was in college with him, I didn't talk about Jesus with him. Man, he was a good buddy. Good guy. And I don't know because I didn't know him for that long. I don't know the end of the story, man. I hope he came to Christ. But I got a lot of regrets because this is a guy I called a friend. He was my buddy. When I found out he died, I went sorting through the laundry room, found one of his old shirts. I mean, in college, we just shared clothes. You know, I, mean, I ended up with one of them, and it had his name on the back of it. It was a jersey from, from his college ball playing days. And I had to sit there and think, if I love my friend outside of the body of Christ now, why am I not mentioning anything? Am I going to keep going to these funerals? This is going to keep happening. We've got to think about that if we truly want to love these folks. The Bible says we're even supposed to love our enemies. <laughs> Woo! That's a real tough one. Very challenging. What about inside the body of Christ? Sometimes this is as challenging, maybe even more in different ways. Um, and I say that because, you know, what are we in the body of Christ? What are we in the church? We're a what? We're a family, right? I say family and everybody's looking at me. We're a family, right? So you, yeah, you have to be my family. I know I don't live here, but y'all have to be my family, okay? That's what it is. But what, what do we know about family? Sometimes it gets rough, right? It's even hard to get along with people we claim to love the most. I mean, some of those people are the most challenging people to love. But inside the body of Christ, we're challenged to love them anyway. Paul would say this, Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Love each other. And he's talking Christians, brothers and sisters. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Uh, I'm not only uh, the preacher where uh, I live, but I'm one of the elders. And so I... Uh, I, I deal with sometimes what we call family squabbles, <laughs> you know. And I tell people that. It's interesting, you know. Sometimes we have trouble getting along in the family, in the body of Christ. And sometimes it can be over the dumbest stuff, too. I mean, it can just be what I would call petty things. But the devil's going to use those little things to drive a wedge in between us. And I want to challenge you tonight. There may be someone here tonight that you don't talk to, that you used to talk to, but there was a falling out at some point. And maybe that person that you're having a falling out with in the spiritual body isn't even here tonight. Maybe you'll see him on Sunday. Can I give you a challenge on this? Reach out to them. Come Sunday morning, if they're not here tonight, or if they are, walk up to them. And just say, you know what? It ends tonight. I love you. And I want everything dropped between me and you. My love for you is greater than this thing that happened. And just say, I'm sorry. Well, somebody's sitting in, 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 the, in the pew right now going, well, I'm not the one that did it. They did. Walk up to them and tell them you love them. And give them forgiveness. Not because they deserve it. 
That's not why God gave you forgiveness. He didn't send Jesus to die on the cross because you deserved it. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, undeserving. That's what grace is all about. It's unmerited favor. So we don't give forgiveness in the body of Christ to our brother or sister because they deserve it or because they ask for it. We give it to them for the same reason we received it from God, because they need it. And that's what we do. That's how family love, that's how it works. That's how love works. Because if someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God? Whom we cannot see. Where are you on this? You want to hold on to it? Bury the hatchet tonight. Have the courage to say it's done tonight. I, I preached recently a, a lesson in, in, uh, at our church about forgiveness. And I want you all to think about something. And this ties directly to loving each other. Jesus taught us how to pray. And he told us to pray to the Father, forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those that sin against me. That's how he taught us to pray. Now, y'all think about that for a second. You ready? This is how we're supposed to pray. You ready? Dear God, please forgive me just like I forgive other people. That's what we're supposed to pray. What I want to ask you tonight is when it comes to your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you prayed that prayer tonight, would you want God to answer it? Would you want him to forgive you like you've been treating your brother or sister in Christ. I cannot say I love God. Oh, love God with all your heart, but I hate my brother. <laughs> I'm to love God. Learn to love myself. Then learn to love my neighbor. Outside of the body of Christ, yes. People I don't know, yes. People that are stinking sinners, yeah, just like me. <laughs> well, I'm a saint, though, and so are you. We've been sanctified, haven't we? We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, but we need never get the idea we haven't sinned. We never need to get the idea that we still don't at times, out of weakness. And we never need to get the idea that I can love God or at least claim to if I don't truly love my brother. And if I'm not willing to forgive my brother or sister in Christ, I don't love them or God, not truly. Probably the greatest... One of the greatest chapters in all the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul's just done kind of what I was telling you I do sometimes. He's, he's dealt with the church squabble in, in chapter 12. These people are fighting over something silly. One of them was mad at the other. They didn't have a spiritual gift the other one had. And he's just like, man, come on. All y'all are in the same body. Just use what you got for the glory of God. Quit fighting. And when he, come to, when he came to solve that problem in the very next chapter, here's what he said. He said, you can have all the spiritual gifts you want. But if you don't have love, you got nothing. And if you were willing and dedicated it enough to give your very life to die for God, but you don't have love, you're just dead. You got nothing. Without love, we have nothing. And now these three remain, he says at the end of the chapter. Faith hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love.
I don't even know y'all, but I love you. And I'm thankful to be with you tonight. It's a blessing to everybody here, I think. Let's pray as we close. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this day. Thank you for your love for us that uh, draws us to you. Thank you for your grace that you've extended to us, that you love us when we're unlovable. You forgive us when we don't deserve it. And we pray that that's what will motivate us to love you and to love ourselves, to love others, because of what you first did and what you continue to do for us. We praise you. We thank you so much. Thank you for Randall's lesson. Please bless him and his ministry in Cadiz, Kentucky, and be with him on his, on his trip home. That you'll watch over him, be with his wife and kids, and bless them. Thank you so much, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.